Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At some point in time, in one way or another, we struggle with doubts. There may be different levels of doubts, but we struggle with doubt. It I have, seems to me that most of the time our struggles with doubt have to do with, with the timing of God. Why not now? Why are we waiting? Why so long? It, it's the cry of the prophets. How long, O oh Lord? How long? And, and there is there's something about having to wait for God and, and the, the call to be patient that, that creates questions and doubts in our minds about whether God is really going to come through. And sometimes it's the circumstances of life. It's the struggles of life. Things that happen to us or things we want that don't happen to us. And we question. We wonder. We struggle. I think we often think that, that this, is, this is abnormal. We ought not to do that. But the reality is, I don't think God is threatened by our doubts. I think God would rather have us express honest doubts than dishonest faith. God would much rather have us say what we're thinking and be honest about it, our struggles, our doubts, our questions, than to make all kinds of great statements about faith when inside we don't really feel what we're saying. The reality is, doubts might well be a sign that we are more interested and closer to faith than we realize. Someone who has absolutely no interest in God, who has never thinks about God, never has any kind of connection at all in their minds or their lives to God, probably isn't going to ever be disappointed by God. It's only the people who, to whom God is important. It's only the people to whom God, they want a relationship with God. They want to know God. It might be a skewed view of God, but there is certainly an interest in God. Only the people in that mindset can be disappointed because they care. The teacher that comes to Jesus in Mark 12 and asks him, you know, what, what's, sum up the, the, the law for me, and Jesus does and he says to him, tell me about what you've done. And he tells him and he says, you're not far from the kingdom. He isn't quite there, but he's, his interest, his, his interest in Jesus, his desire to understand Jesus is a sign that he is close to faith. And when we come to this encounter that Jesus has with Thomas in John 20, we see this, this struggle of doubt and faith. Thomas is not with the disciples when Jesus appears that night of the resurrection. And at some point after that, either later that night or the next day or the next days, they are back together with Thomas and they tell him, "We." and Thomas's response is, really? I don't buy it. I can imagine the conversation that takes place as the days keep going and they keep thinking, well, Jesus is going to appear again and you'll see. And it becomes Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And Thomas is saying, you guys are going to stick with that story? I don't know. 
It's a week later Jesus appears. I suspect during those weeks, the disciples were saying, did we really see Jesus? And and the doubts are creeping into their minds. Jesus, what about the timing here? But when he appears and he encounters Thomas, the thing that Jesus says to him is believe. Have faith. Believe. And we know that faith is central to being a follower of Jesus. I just think sometimes we misunderstand what faith is. When we talk about faith, we talk about believing, we tend to think of something we reason out in our minds. Some, something we agree with, some theological statement, some creed, some dogma, something that we say, I believe that. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that God created. I believe these things. They're all important things. But the reality is belief is so much more than that. Belief is not really what we can reason with our minds. It's not really ideas. It's how we live our lives. And when Jesus says to Thomas, believe, it's not just, I want you to say, okay, I believe that you're standing in front of me. I see you. You must have risen from the dead. He wants something more than that. He wants Thomas's life. It starts with the resurrection. It starts believing in the resurrection. It's acknowledging that Jesus has won. And that is a key element of faith because so much of life contradicts that. We live in a world in which it would be easy to assume that the resurrection is a pipe dream. It feels like the world in which we live that the resurrection hasn't changed anything. That's why we're called to believe. Our clue speaker last fall, A.J. Swoboda, tells of growing up on the Willamette River and uh, how every winter there in Oregon, the, uh, the river would freeze over. And as a small child, he, would, he was sure that the river was dead, that it stopped, because that's all he could see. He was certain that the river was no longer running, that there was no water. And his father kept telling him through the years, no, the river is running just as much as it always has. You just can't see it. He said it was only when he became an adult that he began to, and older they began to understand that what he saw wasn't the whole picture. And that's what the resurrection does to our lives and, how, and the circumstances, difficulties of our lives. Is it appears often that the resurrection doesn't make a bit of difference But we know better. That's the foundation of everything we believe. That Jesus rose from the dead. The cross is awesome. And it's imperative. But it's a dead end without the resurrection. And the resurrection is the foundation of all that we believe. And Thomas begins to see that. But that's not the end of belief. When we believe the resurrection is true, that Jesus has won, it changes our perspective of everything Jesus says and does and lives. It changes our view of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. When we believe, when we truly believe, when it's not just with our our minds, but with our lives, our actions, then we begin to embrace the idea of what we prayed a few moments ago, your kingdom come on earth, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. We begin to live wanting that to be true. It's one thing to say it's true. It's another thing to live as if we believe it's true. This is the problem with belief. You know, I can say to you, I believe the world is round. But if I'm afraid to get on a ship and sail across the ocean because of we might, I'm afraid we might fall off the end of it, you have to wonder if I really believe the earth is round. And if we say, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, I believe that, that the, the kingdom is what Jesus says it is, but I'm not willing to truly embrace it as Jesus describes it and lives it, do I really believe that that's true? Someone wrote that when you read the scriptures, you have to understand everything in the scripture is centered around Jesus. Everything is centered in one way around Jesus. And to have faith in Jesus is to accept that. And I think that's true. I just don't think it goes far enough. I don't think it's enough to just accept that's true because we can accept things with our hand pulled by, with somebody pulling our arm behind our back, forcing us to say, sure, okay, I accept it. It's one thing to accept it. It's another thing to want it, to yearn for it, to desire it. And to have faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, is to want the kingdom to be what Jesus says it is. Not with just with our mouths, but how we live. We live as if we truly want the Beatitudes to be what Jesus says. That that's the way to blessing. So we live with a mindset of wanting to be poor in spirit. To mourn the pain of the world, even if it doesn't affect us. To be merciful rather than vindictive. Be willing to be persecuted for the gospel. To be humble. And the whole Sermon on the Mount, to be, to be more interested in solving the log sticking out of our eye instead of the, the speck in someone else's eye. That we want the way of the cross to be the way of life. When we believe not just with our mouths and not just with our minds, but with the way we live our lives, then we start revealing that. And we make decisions based on that. And the priorities of our lives are based on that. And it means that we are not the center. It's not my will be done. It's your will be done. It's not just accepting that, but it's wanting that. The way we know that we want that is that we are all in with Jesus. And to be all in with Jesus is to be willing to, to risk, to be vulnerable, to be willing to, to say, it is, I'm willing to stick my neck out for you. I mean, the minute you start talking about risk, you have the potential for loss, the potential for pain. But it shouldn't surprise us that that's what the gospel calls us to because the cross is a focal point of everything that the gospel means. And to be people who, who say we are all in with Jesus, that's what it means to believe, is to live our lives with a willingness to risk for God. You read the, the scriptures and particularly the parables of Jesus. And how many times does Jesus say that the people who risk for the kingdom are commended? And the people who refuse to risk 
are condemned. It has a lot to do with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's this all-in nature of the kingdom. It's being willing to be vulnerable and to take that risk. And that's what I see in Thomas. You know, we give Thomas a hard time. Because his nickname is Doubting Thomas. I think that's unfair. I bet you anything, you, you flip-flop Thomas with any of the other disciples and say, and they weren't there Sunday night when Jesus appeared. They would have been just as, as probably unwilling to believe as Thomas was. They believed because they saw Jesus. Thomas didn't get a chance to do that until later. Have you ever wondered why Thomas wasn't there? That thought just struck me this week. I never thought about that before. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But I, I wonder if it's one of two reasons. It might be because Thomas is a lot more frightened than the other disciples. And so rather than, so even being in Jerusalem behind closed doors in a, in a seclusive room is not secure enough for him. And he's out, out by the Jordan River in the wilderness hiding in a cave. Or maybe it's because he's more courageous than the other disciples. Maybe they're sitting around talking about, you know, we really need some more food here. And Thomas says, okay, I'll go get it. I'll walk out in the city. I'll go to the market. I'll find it. Maybe it's because he has some connections in the temple or connections with the Romans. And he can get a sense of what's happening out there. What are they thinking about us? What's, what are the plans? What are we hearing? And maybe it's because Thomas has more courage. And actually, I think if it's one or the other, I think it's that one. Because the minute he sees Jesus, he worships. The minute he sees Jesus, he worships. The minute he knows it's Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. And you can see his heart. Yes, he is doubting. He's having a hard time understanding someone rising from the dead. But the minute he understands this is Jesus... It's worship. I would think it would have been a little difficult for him to do that. He's been probably saying all week, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. And all of a sudden he sees Jesus, I believe it, I believe it. I think I would have been a little more hesitant to lose face like that. I think I might have been a little bit more, a little more hesitant to, to just jump right in. But it reveals Thomas's heart. Yes, he's doubting, but it's not because he doesn't want to believe. It's just hard for him to, to get there. But the minute he sees Jesus, he does. And that belief, that declaration about worshiping Jesus, my Lord and my God, that comes to him for one reason, because he sees the wounds of Jesus. I would have thought Jesus might have walked in and said, hey, guys, it's me. And they're thinking, really? Whoa, okay, let me prove it to you. I'll do a miracle. Let me reveal my power. Let me show you how successful I am. Let me show you all these awesome things that I can do. But he doesn't. The only thing he says to them is, see my wounds. When Thomas sees those wounds and he makes this declaration, he is putting himself in a lifetime position of being wounded. 
That very declaration, when he sees the wounds of Jesus, is going to lead him to a life of sacrifice and service and surrender and, according to tradition, ultimately martyrdom. Because of the wounds of Jesus. He sees the wounds of Jesus and it inspires faith. And I can't help but think that since the church is the living, visible presence of Jesus in this world, that perhaps the most profound means we have of instilling faith in each other and in other people might be our woundedness. I want it to be our successes. I want it to be power. I want it to be authority. I want it to be... uh, Wealth, I want it to be all these great things, success. That's what we want it to be. But the reality of the gospel and the call to faith is to believe that our most profound witness is not our success, but our woundedness, our vulnerability. Being all in, no matter the cost. Isn't The prophet Isaiah says... It's by his wounds, not his successes, that we are healed. It's by his wounds, not his miracles, that we are healed. It's by his wounds, not his power, that we are healed. And this is the call to faith, the call to believe. That God can do more with our vulnerability and our brokenness and our woundedness than with our successes. And to be people of faith, to be people who believe, means taking risks that make us vulnerable, just like Jesus. Next Sunday night, we're hosting this vision gathering, and we've been doing this last few years, and... It's not for just members of the church. Anybody who says, this is my church home, we want you to come. And we'll have some desserts and and we'll have a time of fellowship and we'll sing together and, and pray together. But we also want to talk about this very thing. What does it look like for the church, for our church, to believe like this? What does it look like for, for us as a corporate body of believers to believe in the gospel, to believe in Jesus in such a way that it's going to probably cost us. To be vulnerable, to serve, to sacrifice, to surrender, to risk. What what might that look like? And I'm excited about the opportunity to have a chance to talk about it. Because the reality is, this is our most profound witness to each other and to other people. Because this is the witness of Jesus. Do we have successes? Does does God do miracles through his people? Does God give us power and authority? Yes, he does. But always in the context of faith that is willing to risk and to be vulnerable. And it comes back to the circumstances of life. What do we do when... It seems that God's timing isn't what we want it to be. How do we handle it when circumstances are more difficult than we would hope for them to be? 
What does that do for our faith? I brought with me a couple of items this morning from my childhood. One of them is the Etch-A-Sketch. I'm sure you all have maneuvered an Etch-A-Sketch at some point in time. I also put on the screen a few things on the Etch-A-Sketch that I've been able to create over the, this week. I'm a little offended by the laughter, to be honest with you. No, actually, that's more like things that I create, only that's better than anything I could ever create. I can draw a square, sort of, sometimes. You know, this was invented in 1960, and, uh, you know, you draw the lines on it, you make pictures like you see there, and it's it's been a, a toy that, and children and obviously some adults have played with for a long time. I also brought a Polaroid camera. Uh, this is something, I was surprised, it was invented in 1947. I did not realize it was around that long. But this, I remember this becoming very popular when I was in grade school, high school. We used to go on Polaroid scavenger hunts where you, know, you take pictures of something. And, and the great thing about this, this is really the pre-digital photography. You get an instant picture. And if, you, if you've used one of these machines, you know that you take the picture, either it comes out or you pull out the, the negative and... And you peel off the stuff and gradually from a blank piece of uh, film, uh, the paper, the image, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever it is, it begins to emerge on the picture. And you end up with something that looks a bit like this. Same pictures on the screen. I was thinking about this and what triggered me to this was A.J. Swoboda in one of his books. He talks about these two things. And he talks about the fact that the thing that these two objects have in common is that to to use them, they get shaken. If you want to use Etch-A-Sketch, at some point you either are going to have just a jumbled mess of lines, no matter how great your picture, unless you reset it and you do that by shaking it. You can hear the stuff shaking around in there. And when you take a Polaroid picture, now I, I was reading this week that actually the, the company Polaroids didn't really want people to do this, but what we always did is you shook it. You pulled out the thing, peeled off the paper, and you sat there doing this. You all have probably done it if you've done with these cameras. And it seemed like that would make the process work better. And you shook it and watched the picture emerge. And here's the reality These two things represent what can happen with faith. We're going to be shaken. There's no way around it. Life shakes us. We have doubts. We have questions. We we struggle with things. The question is, when we're shaken, does it blur our faith and cause it to disappear? Or does it lead to a beautiful image? Of what God has designed us and created us to be. I'm convinced that the difference comes back to embracing with all of our being the reality of the resurrection. If we believe that Jesus has risen, Jesus has conquered, we believe it not just with our minds, but we believe it with our lives no matter what happens in life, no matter how difficult the struggle, no matter how many are questions, and even our doubts, 
God can bring something gorgeous and beautiful because we believe Jesus has conquered. And that what we see is not always everything God is doing. Which kind of faith do we possess? Father, thank you for your grace to us, for your mercy in our lives. Give us the kind of faith that is experiences blessing, even when we don't see what we want, even when we don't experience what we want. We believe with every part of who and what we are through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.